up on, on um, Palm Sunday about peace. So we want to enlarge on the idea of what it means to have peace through the gospel. Our text is taken from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll look at verse 16. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. The late 19th century, uh, 19th, early 20th century Scottish preacher, Andrew McLaren, has noted that the deepest longing of every human soul is for peace. The deepest longing of every human soul is for peace. And I would argue that there is much truth and wisdom to that statement, and that being the case, before we look at our text, I want to make five preliminary observations in relation to the idea that the deepest longing of every human soul is the desire for peace. So here's the first one. The reason the desire for peace is the deepest longing of the human soul is because whether we know it or not, human peace is contingent upon fellowship and harmony with our Creator. Human peace is contingent upon harmony and fellowship with our Creator. That being the case, Adam's sin has put us at enmity with God. And since we are at enmity with God, there is dis-ease, and we don't just mean it when it's conjoined as in physical diseases, but to be ill at ease, the absence of ease, the absence of contentment is a consequence of our being out of fellowship with God, whether we know it or not. But the ultimate source of human discontent and the ultimate source of human ill at humans ill at ease or dis-ease is because of our fallen state, our being out of fellowship and harmony with the Creator. That's why Paul, in describing the fallen human condition, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, says that we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, as well as elsewhere, he refers to the fallen human condition as being enemies with God. So, again... The idea that the deepest longing of the human soul is the desire for peace. And the reason that is the case is because we were created to be in harmony and fellowship with God. And human peace is contingent upon that fellowship and that harmony. The disruption of that peace will therefore bring distortion and ill at ease and discontentment in all 
of our horizontal experiences. It's almost as if we are always looking or, or feeling threatened by everything around us, feeling ill at ease. Second observation. Our perception of peace corresponds to our perception of the source of our discord. Our perception of peace corresponds to the perception, to our the perception of our source of discord and disturbances. Now we mentioned that this is a continuation of the theme that we uh, began unfolding on Palm Sunday. And in that message on Palm Sunday, we looked at Jesus' lament over Jerusalem, where he says, if you only knew for the things that brought for peace, that would bring you peace, or that makes for your peace. And so here's the, the, the idea, that all of humanity is longing for peace, contentment, uh, to be at ease. But our perception of what will bring us peace corresponds to our perception of what our, our greatest discord or our disturbance is. Therefore, uh, in a religious sense, Jesus is taking issue with those of his day because they thought that somehow what they did in the temple would somehow reconcile them with God and therefore they would have peace. Or maintaining this physical structure would give them peace. Um, many people think that peace will, it, well, the, the cause, the primary cause of their not being at peace is the absence of money or the absence of possessions or the living in a particular community or neighborhood. Some people think that if I can only live in a certain place, then I will be at ease. Uh, my, my father and my parents were both raised by their grandparents. And even though my parents were both born in 19, one was born in 1940 and the other one was 1941, they were raised by grandparents who had experience from the Great Depression, which meant that their grandparents who raised them had this, this fear of going through what they experienced as children going through the Great Depression. So therefore they had, the idea was, well, if you only, if you, here's what you need, this, this is what should enable you to lay your head down at night, make sure you have enough food in the freezer. And so if the perception of our discord is that we think that our biggest fear, our greatest danger is not enough food, then we will make peace, we will assume that peace means having enough food in the freezer. Or if you've grown up maybe with, in poverty and you know what it means to live from paycheck to paycheck, then your, your, your assumption would be that my greatest source of discord is not having enough money. And so when I get enough money, put it away, then that would give me peace. So our, again, our perception of peace corresponds to our perception of the source of our discord. And that can be helpful in some ways and it can be helpful in other ways. So whether we think like some that our greatest discord or our greatest area of dis-ease is the fear of not having enough food, 
then the perception would be a surplus of food ought to give us peace. If the perception is we need enough money to live the next 10 years or whatever, and, and by the way, I'm not saying a surplus of food, and I'm not saying money that is saved is not helpful. What I'm saying is that those are only periphery. They are not our ultimate cause of discomfort. But again, our perception of what will bring us peace corresponds to the, our perception of our greatest source of discord. Here's a third observation. Ultimate human peace is the result of being reconciled with God through Christ. Ultimate human peace is being reconciled to God through Christ. Now, that touches on the idea that we would understand that our greatest source of discord is not, not enough food, it's not, not enough money, that our greatest source of discord is the understanding that we are, by nature, children of wrath. Therefore, our greatest source or our ultimate source of peace is to know that we have been reconciled to God through Christ. Now notice what I said, reconciled to God through Christ. And the reason I emphasize that is because some people will assume, as it's easy for us to, to do, that we, will, we have a right standing with God when we do his will. That somehow our worth is the basis of our reconciliation. And that's one of the reasons with various forms of works righteousness, law-driven religion, is the idea that we have, that, that when God is not pleased with us because we have not done his will, then we will experience discomfort in our horizontal relations. So therefore the solution is for me to do the will of God so that I can receive favor from him and therefore have peace. But the, the, the gospel way, and we touched on this a little bit last week in looking at the passage out of Jeremiah, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Likewise, ultimate human peace does not is not the result of us being convinced that we've done everything that God has required of us. Ultimate human peace is the result of our being reconciled to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to a fourth observation. Although we are reconciled to God through Christ, and therefore we are at peace with God, that eternal irrevocable and unbreakable bond of peace will be obscured and challenged and even questioned as we await the Lord's return. Again, we know that we are ultimate human peace is the result of our being reconciled to God through Christ. However, although we are reconciled to God through Christ, 
to such a degree that we have received eternal, irrevocable, and unbreakable bond of peace through the gospel, that truth itself can be obscured, it can be challenged, and it will be questioned as long as we are in these bodies waiting for the Lord's return. Now, what I mean by the peace, the irrevocable peace, and I, I emphasize, I use those terms intentionally so that we would know that the bond of peace that we have in Christ never goes away, even though we don't always, from moment to moment, realize it. So I use the language of, 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 of it being obscured in the same way that when it's a cloudy day, and the skies are gray, it does not mean that the sun is not shining. But it does mean that the clouds and other things are blocking out our vision of the brightness of the sun. So we, as long as we are in these bodies and are waiting for the return of the Lord, we will experience seasons and things that will give us the impression that we are no longer at peace with God. Now, when we speak of these things, that when we live in this perishing world, when we live in this fallen world, there are things that we will experience outside of us that will cause us to wonder whether or not God is not mad at us for something. We will see things that take, that take place around us things that are inexplicable to us. And we would say the only reason, we would, might think that the only reason that we can experience these things is because God is angry with us. Or we are sometimes overcome by guilt because we know that in these bodies that our actions don't always line up. Our words are not always, always what they ought to be. And so our perception might be that God is withholding his peace from us because of something that we have done. Or we might think that it's still God getting back at us for something else that we've done somewhere way back in our past, as if we are still not reconciled to him. So whether it's because of things that we experience in the world, or whether it's because of things that we have done, whether it's because of things that we carry within us, as long as we are on this side of heaven, the irrevocable, irremovable, eternal, unbreakable bond of peace that we presently have with God through Christ can be obscured so that we will live like, we will feel like, and we will think like we need to be reconciled. This is one of the reasons uh, we have so many people in the world, and especially in our churches, that sometimes we, you know, you may go astray and, and you figure that, well, my life is, is taking a bad direction, therefore I need to get right with God again. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you that if your faith is in Christ, no matter what your journey has been, Whatever else God is doing through the circumstances in your life is not because 
you're not at peace with him. The peace that we have with God through Christ as we embrace it in the gospel is not to be taken back. He will not take it back. It, it, is, it is irreversible and it's irrevocable. Even though circumstances that we are in and we ourselves may wonder whether or not God is not mad at us. I've often heard it said from those who are well-intended, but they will say, no, we, we understand that sin doesn't, for, for believers, sin doesn't mean that it's, it doesn't separate you from God, but it keeps you from fellowship with God. Brothers and sisters, here is part of the scandal of the gospel, that if your faith is in Jesus Christ, even your sin, as hideous as it is, and he does give us a sense of how egregious our sins are, our sin not only doesn't separate us from God, but our con the continuing sins of believers does not break fellowship with God. Because to not be in fellowship with God would be to have no peace. And the peace that passes all understanding means that not even our sins can break the bond of peace that has been delivered in the gospel. That brings us to a fifth and final observation. Until the Lord returns, we have a perpetual need for the perfect peace that we presently possess to be announced to us over and over again. So until the Lord returns, as long as we are in these bodies, as long as we are living in a cursed creation, whatever else we need, we don't need new peace, we don't need another reconciliation, what we do need is we have a perpetual need for the peace that we presently possess to be announced to us. And we need to be able to reason from that peace as we encounter all of life's experiences. And it's that understanding, it's that need to have our perpetual need for that perfect peace that we presently possess to be announced over and over again to us and for us to continue to reason from that peace. That's what leads us to the text that we want to look at this afternoon. And the text is really in the form, you could call it a prayer, some call it a prayer petition on the part of the Apostle Paul for the congregation that he has written to, the church at Thessalonica, or others would say that it's a benediction, but it really kind of meets the, the form of both. It's a prayer, it's a prayer petition. In other words, this is what, what Paul is praying on behalf of the church, but it's also a benediction because it's the announcement of divine blessings upon the people of God. That being the case, I want to look at four things from this particular verse. Let me read it again. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way the Lord be with you all in the first place Paul refers to Jesus here as the Lord of peace 
He refers to him as the Lord of peace. What a wonderful statement. He, Jesus is the Lord of peace. Now, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says that Christ is our peace. And, and really, if man's biggest problem is being at enmity with God, then to call Jesus the Lord of peace is probably the most comprehensive and succinct description of his earthly ministry. What We know that the, 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 the salvation that we have from Christ or through Christ is manifold. We know that we have fellowship with God. We know we have our sins forgiven. We know that we have, we have been made acceptable in the beloved. But all of it revolves around this. That in, in Christ and through Christ, all of the enmity that was between us and God has been dissolved. Peace with God, Isaiah 53 says, by uh, that, that the chastisement, Christ received chastisement, the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. So really the sum total of the ministry of Christ, his earthly ministry, is to reconcile us to God and therefore give us the experience of being at peace with him. And so for this reason, Paul calls him the Lord of peace. We can very easily call him the Lord of righteousness because certainly he delivers for us the righteousness of God and has made us the righteousness of God. We could call him the giver of the spirit. We could call him a, a number of things by looking at what he accomplishes on our behalf. But the fact that Paul calls him here the Lord of peace, I think that's significant because it's a reminder that the hub of all of our gospel benefits revolve around the fact, or I should say that all of our gospel benefits revolve around the fact that we have peace with God. And the peace that we have with God has been accomplished by Jesus Christ. Yes, we have fellowship with him, but why do we have fellowship with him? Because we have peace. We have been made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. But why are we heirs? Because we have peace. We have boldness to go before the throne of grace. But why do we, why can we go with boldness? Because we have peace. We have confidence in both living and dying because we have peace with God. And so whatever else Christ has accomplished for us, Whatever else he delivers to us through the gospel, and it's much, both for now and for all eternity. But everything revolves around the fact that he has delivered to us the peace that we presently possess and that we will possess for all eternity. He is indeed the Lord of peace. He's the Lord of grace. He is the vehicle through which all of the grace of God is given to us. But he is the Lord of peace. And secondly, this verse also amplifies the continuing ministry of Christ through the Holy Spirit and his appointed means. The continuing ministry of Christ 
through the Holy Spirit and through his appointed means. Again, notice the words here that, um, uh, that, that Paul uses. He says, um, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. In other words, Christ, he is praying that Christ would give he himself. May the Lord of, 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 of peace himself give you peace. So here's the question. How does Christ continue to give us peace? He does so through the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is communicate to us all of the benefits that we have in Christ and the gospel. Jesus, in his discourse concerning the Holy Spirit prior to his crucifixion, he tells his disciples that everything that is his, the Spirit will convey to them. And the Spirit, in other words, the Spirit will not do anything new. He's not going to give a, a, do a, a new work for us. All of the work of the Spirit is to illuminate to us the wonders of God's grace towards us in the person of Christ. And how does the Spirit illuminate to us the work of, of, of Christ on our behalf? It's through the appointed means, the ministry of the Word, the table that is set before us. It's through these things that, that the Holy Spirit gives us peace because our own experiences oftentimes work against any idea of peace. But it is the Holy Spirit through the reading of his word, through the proclamation of his word. It's the Holy Spirit through the fellowship and the worship of God's gathered people that enlarges to us, that communicates to us, that, that, that conveys to us the finished work of Christ on our behalf so that we can lay our heads down at night and have peace. So whatever degree of peace that we experience through the gospel is because God is, or Christ gives it to us through the ministry of the Spirit. And the Spirit illuminates the work of Christ. May the Lord himself give you peace. So every time we come to the table, it is the Spirit that illumines to us the words of Christ. This is my body that has been broken for you. This is my cup of the New Testament, of the blood that was shed for you. All of this was given to you. It is the Holy Spirit through the, the corporate confession of God's people of our sins to acknowledge that our sins are forgiven. It is the Holy Spirit that affirms to us the absolution that comes from God's grace. It is the Holy Spirit not giving us a liver shiver, but it's the Holy Spirit giving us clarity on the fact that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And it's through the ministry of the word, it's through the fellowship of God's people that God, that, that Christ continues to give his people peace. But here's the third thing. Paul, not, Paul also implies our need to integrate the once-for-all-time once peace that has been delivered to us in the gospel 
he implies our need to continue to integrate that peace in all of our, our circumstances. Um, again, his words are that may the Lord himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Not new peace, not a new experience, but to be able to apply the fact of Jesus made flesh and the fact that he is God with us and the fact that he has lived for our righteousness and died for our sins and was raised for our justification. We need to be able to make use of that. And this is what he does through the, the continuing ministry of the Holy Spirit through his appointed means. He gives us a, 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 or he reaffirms to us the peace that has been accomplished by Christ so that we can apply it at all times and in every way. So whether it's the early apostles who were sometimes in prison because of their faithfulness to the ministry of the word, they did not lose peace because they were able to reason from their circumstances or reason from the gospel that their circumstances did not mean that the peace of God had been forfeited or had been lost. And what Paul is praying for, Paul is announcing upon this congregation that would receive these words, is that as you go in the midst of this empire where there are challenges, where there are obstacles, he prays that, that the Lord of peace would himself continue to give to the people of God, the people that he has purchased by his own blood, that he would give them a new understanding and a suitable understanding of the peace that has been secured by the gospel in all of their circumstances, in all of their situations. I was speaking with a friend of mine earlier who's presently going through the book of Daniel uh, for his own personal devotion and he mentioned the fact that how, how much he's learned from Daniel and that Daniel's responsibility was to be faithful to God even as he served in the Babylonian and then later in the Persian Empire and Daniel did the work of, of, of the government as much as he could and then but he always everything was it flowed from his devotion to the God of Israel and so he prayed continuously three times a day, doing the business, the work of, of Babylon, but his devotion and his heart was anchored to the God of Israel. And then when it came to, to him getting in trouble and, and people that didn't like him and they, they stacked circumstances against him so that his devotion to God would be challenged and checked, Daniel was willing because he understood he was at peace with God. He was willing to, to, to go against what they wanted him to do rather than, rather than to not be devoted to God. Brothers and sisters, God gives us a peace that does pass all understanding. And what Daniel understood is that his peace with God was not being threatened. And so his devotion was driven by his peace. His, his devotion wasn't the cause of his peace. And so it is for us. And I pray that as we go through 
various circumstances at all times and in every way, whether circumstances are agreeable or disagreeable, I pray that we would come to know more and more of the peace of God as we make our decisions, as we respond to various things that are going on around us, that we would be, that what would be uppermost in our minds as we integrate the fact that if God is for us, then who can be against us? That we lose nothing when we hold to God and we are driven by his peace. And that God's peace is not on, is, is not on trial even when our safety, even when our health, even when our personal well-being may seem to be at risk. Our peace with God passes all understanding. So Paul's prayer is that the Lord of peace himself would give peace to the people of God in all circumstances and at all times. And that brings us to a fourth and final thing here. Paul reminds his readers that the peace that has been procured by Christ is also secured by his perennial presence with his people. The peace that has been procured by Christ through the course of his earthly ministry, in his righteous life, his sacrificial and substitutionary death, in his victorious resurrection from the grave, it is procured, it is secured for us by his perpetual or his perennial presence amongst his people. Notice the way Paul ends this, this, this prayer or this benediction. The Lord be with you all. It's the same way that Jesus ends the great great commission after his resurrection. He begins by saying that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And therefore he commissions them. Now go into all of the worlds and, and teach and preach and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end. Christ has procured for us peace with God. And that peace that he has procured has been communicated and is communicated to us through the appointed means. This is why we always need the gospel. Because it announces to us that our warfare is over. And that we have received double for our iniquities. That Christ has been wounded and he's been bruised. And he has received the chastisement of God in his flesh. So that we could be at peace with God. So whatever else is going on in our lives. Whatever else that we experience in our lives. Our ups and our downs. Those things that we even as our outward man is perishing. We are not diseased because we are at enmity with God. But we know that we are at peace with God because the wounded body of our Savior is at the right hand of the Father. And it is a reminder to us, again, that just as we are reconciled to God through Christ, 
we have his presence perennially with us, that he is with us. He's with us in our trials. He's with us in our difficulties because he has brought us behind the veil so that we are forever accepted before God. So here's the benediction that Paul gives to these Thessalonian believers, those from whom the word of God has sounded forth, those who have had questions concerning various aspects of their faith. The final word of benediction or his prayer petition for them is what I would leave for you as we go through this season of challenge and trial. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace and may he give you peace at all times and in every way and may he remind you through his appointed means that the Lord is with you his face shines upon you and we pray that his peace would radiate in your hearts that you would be able to reason from and integrate that the, the truth of the peace that you have with God, even in your most difficult trials, because the Lord is with you, and there is nothing that can change that. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the reminder that our being ill at and the reminder that our discomfort, all of it emanates from the fact that in our natural state, we are at enmity with you. And although we live in a world where your curse is still evident, you have granted us peace through your Son. We do thank you for the knowledge of that peace that we have been reconciled to you. So therefore, we pray, O oh God, that our desire would be to yield ourselves to your will and your word, not so that we can be at peace, but because we are. Let us be content in what you've given us for the times in which you have placed us. Let us have confidence in knowing that we are yours that you are with us and there is nothing that we can endure or encounter that would remove or revoke the peace that has been accomplished through the chastisement that you've placed upon your son we thank you for your tender mercies integrated into our thoughts and let it be the comfort of our hearts we ask all of these things in Christ's name Amen.